Welcome to the Turner Road Bible Chapel podcast, encouraging and equipping Christians to grow in their walk with Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not that thou might be saved, because if you are in that small select group and you don't know that yet, if you believe, you will be saved. The application of the finished work of Christ will be applied to you and your sins will be forgiven. This is the Turner Road Bible Chapel Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davies. On our last podcast, we began a discussion with David Dunlap on who did Christ die for and who can be saved. Today, we will finish this discussion. David is the president of Cornerstone Magazine, and he's also a writer and speaker. Among the books he has written, his book Limiting Omnipotence deals with the topics we are discussing today. You can find his book on gospelfolio.com. You can also find out more about Cornerstone Magazine by going to cornerstonemagazine.org. Now let's listen in to the rest of our conversation with David Dunlap. I've never thought of this before, but it's a really interesting point that you bring up. You think of other verses like those who dwelt in darkness will see a great yeah. light. This idea right. that God's in constantly engaging with the senses of dead people. Mm, right. uh, which is a really neat concept. I want to ask you this. Uh, one of the thoughts that have come across my mind, every stage of God's work has a choice in it. Meaning, I've often thought, well, what if the reverse was true? Could it be possible that if those were born good, if, if we don't have the capacity as bad people to choose good, then could a person born good have no capacity to choose evil? So you take... Lucifer, born in a perfect setting, logic would say he'd be unable to think to himself, well, I'm kind of sick of being in this possession. I'd, I'd rather get a an advance or I'd rather uh, be higher, but I know that the only person higher is, is God, so I'm going to become higher than him. So that's a choice he makes. And then you have Adam and Eve, again, created perfect. Right but have the ability to choose. Then you look at our day and age, and we obviously have that ability. Then even, I think you look at the millennial reign, same thing. Satan's unleashed, God unwilling to let people not choose themselves between good and evil, between Satan and God. Do you think it's a pattern that you could say is established throughout the Bible that God's not willing to just create beings that, you're saved, you're not. He he wants that specific I choose you. Or do you think do you think it's unfair to use setting like the Garden of Eden and say, well, no, that was totally different. You couldn't say, well, you know, they they were perfect, but they were created with the special ability we don't have now. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I think God wants us to respond. I think he wants us willingly to come into a relationship with him. And then we stay in that relationship. He does empower us. He gives us gifts. He gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he gives us gifts, spiritual gifts to serve him, the indwelling Holy Spirit to, to live for him and enables us to have a relationship with him. But it's certainly, and I do believe once we're in heaven, we won't have the ability to sin and we're going to be sent sure. to some other realm. I don't think, uh, and then there's the keeping power of God that uh, in, in our salvation. So there is that. 
but it doesn't mean there's it's still re, it's still uh, a, a, a relationship a response that we have a response that we we honor God we 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 want to come into the relationship with God so I, I think there is something in that Israel had to respond the church has to respond the gospel comes individually the message goes out. God wants them to respond to that message individually. Adam had to respond. I'm sorry, Abraham responded to God. David responded to God. They weren't robots. They weren't. Uh, they weren't pre-programmed to act a certain way. He could have done that, right? He could mm-hmm. have made us uh, uh, that way, pre-programmed to act a certain way. He didn't want that. He created us, even on our fallen condition, even Adam and Eve before the fall. Um, he wanted them to respond to him and enable them as human beings without a sin nature uh, to respond to him and to follow him and have relationship with him. He wants that from us. He wants that from us for all eternity. And he wants us to be conformed to his image. He wants us to be changed, but he wants relationship from us. And uh, and he enables us to have that. Last follow-up on this would be... Um... We have verses in the New Testament like we're dead to sin, alive to Christ. We've been made alive in Christ. Now, we don't we definitely don't want to condone the fact that a Christian can commit a sin, but it's pretty obvious that that choice is still there for a Christian. Are we able to look at those areas in salvation where Christ gives us these same parallels between death and life and draw them back as and, and say that well, well God's consistent like He's not saying that the Christian's no longer able to sin, but that the power that sin had is no longer there. They have life in Christ. Are we able to apply these down and say, well, we don't have to dissect what he means here, and then it's a totally different death and life there. These concepts are still used as a saved person that, I don't know about you, David, but from the minute I was saved at five years old, I have not been 100% always and only choosing the right thing to do from here on out. Is it fair to use those parallels or is that muddying the water a bit? Well, I, I think we still have a sin nature. There's no doubt about that. And that's a whole nother a story and a whole sure. other episode. But when we are saved, the scripture uses the term, we're not dead any longer. We're alive to God. We have changed masters. We have changed rulers in our lives. We're no longer under the rulership of Adam. We're under the rulership of Christ. And we have changed masters. And in that changing, he enables us not to sin. He gives us the power not to sin. He gives us the power not to yield uh, ourselves, our members, as instruments of unrighteousness. He gives us the power to do that. Now, an unsafe person doesn't have that. We have something that an unsaved person doesn't have. An unsaved person sees no difference when they sin. They sin, and uh, they may feel a little guilt, a little conscience, but we have a greater, we have a power, and we have a greater a sense. Uh, someone gets saved and says, I didn't know I was so bad. They say, oh, I, 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 I feel like I'm worse than I was before I was saved. Well, the reason for that is that uh, they have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They have a greater sensitivity to how they should live. Now, when you go to the book of Sec- uh, to uh, Ephesians and many other books, First Corinthians, Romans, when you go there, and it's very interesting, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, he begins to speak about 
the prince of the power of the air about your life, your of your life, your past life. And he says to them, this is how you used to live soon right. as you were saved. He says, but you don't live that way any longer. You used to live that way. There's a list that Paul gives in First Corinthians chapter six. He talks about uh, jealousy and other sins, but then he speaks about immorality, sexual immorality and such. And then he says, such were some of you, but you are washed and you're justified. You're not living that way any longer. Now, are they living in perfection? No, no. they're not living sinlessly, but they're living the moment a person is saved, his life is changed. He is not living the way he used to live. If he is a true Christian, the indwelling Holy Spirit, that transformation that takes place, that, trans, that, that changing of kingdoms and changing of masters begins to take place, and we don't live the way we used to live. Mm. We're not perfect. We do sin. We do fall. We do yield ourselves to our lives, our hands and our feet to unrighteousness, but our lives are different. And he wants us to be more and more conformed to the person of Christ. And we are more and more conformed. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. But uh, people look at us and see there's a difference in your life. Sure. And, uh, and others see that. Unsaved see it. And even saved people see how the Lord has changed you. And, and so there is that. There is a lot that has changed since we've come to faith in Christ. Just to cap this question off, I think it's safe to say I'm... Yes, if after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God no longer had any communication with earth or anyone on it, no one would choose him. That's right. But it's like you open up Genesis 1 and you go to Revelation and you see a God who's been literally using a megaphone from heaven for the last thousands of years to let us know he's wanting us to be saved and he's provided a way to do it. Um, Absolutely. So maybe these last two questions are kind of together. We're not we're not foreign to the fact that these are really debated topics. Why why do these things need to be important to us or are they things that we can just leave alone? And I think it really comes down to this, does our view of these things change the gospel fundamentally? I think it does. I think it, it certainly does in many, many ways. I'm going to say it, it changes three areas, and we'll get to the gospel eventually uh, as the third, third point. Three areas it changes, I think. First of all, it changes our, uh, our view of the attributes and character of God. I wrote a book, and um, I'll put in a shameless plug for my book, called Limiting Omnipotence. Limiting omnipotence. And the idea is that some Christians, sometimes from different spectrums, they begin to limit how God can work. Is God gracious? Does God love everyone? I would say yes. But there be some there are some Christians that begin to argue that question. Well, um, no, I, I don't. I recently got into a little bit of a discussion with someone who uh, I've been reading a quotation by D.A. Carson. And D.A. Carson made this statement, God does not love sinners. And I'm thinking to myself, he, he, he took exception to the idea that sometimes we say, 
God loves the sinner but hates the sin. He said, no, God hates the sinner. Mm. And I said to this friend, I said, you know, what part of John 3.16 does D.A. Carson not understand? God so loved the world. What part of Romans chapter 5, or God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners? So if you have, if, if you come at it at a different perspective, you begin to say, God does not love the whole world. He only loves maybe the selected people of that world. So it affects your view of God. Is God merciful to everyone? Yes. Does he love everyone? Yes. Is this grace towards everyone? Yes. Does he come uh, and want everyone to be saved? Yes. These should be all of our, did he die for everyone? Yes. This should be our attitude about God. Sometimes we make God into a monster. Uh, there's the debate between a good, solid Bible teacher in the 1800s and an atheist. And uh, G.A. Lang, the Christian, was debating in Bristol, England with an atheist. And he began to say that some Christians, the reason I'm an atheist is some Christians make God to be a monster. He hates men. There's no grace. He wants men, for no fault of their own, to be thrown in a lake of fire. And mm. there's no way that they could ever change that course of their existence. So it affects, it affects our, uh, our view of God. It, fix, it affects our attributes of God, and it affects the character of God. A verse like John 3.16 for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Is that only for a select few? Or do we say the world is indeed the world of men, the world of everyone? And yeah. so it affects our view of the character and attributes of God. It affects our understanding of the word of God. Uh, are we going to begin to slice and dice a little bit of the word of God and say, well, John 3.16, no, um, I have a lot of difficulty with that particular verse. You know, it's one of the hardest verses uh, for some people to accept that God loves the whole world. He died for the whole world, and he offers to the whole world the message of salvation. That's very difficult for some people. And it, the thing I find, too, is it makes it makes the whole Bible complicated, where yeah. instead of trusting, trusting the Lord when he said, you know, Salvation is like a child coming to me. It takes childlike faith. Now it takes a complicated, childlike, complex faith because now it's not just about, well, what does he mean by, by world that we, we're taking yeah. the complex passages that are hard to, and let's, right. let's be honest, there are passages that are hard to get through and they, they take deep study, but taking yeah. those and then applying what we think their meaning is into John 3.16 and all right. the other passages that are simple Right. You wind up making the gospel a very complicated thing. Not that there's not complexity, but I think you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you say to yourself, uh, I think what happens sometimes in my conversations with some is say that it's almost as if they don't take the Bible at face value. You may mention a verse, well, no, no, you can't look at the verse that way. No, that, that it, it's got to be some other way. You show it to nine of ten Christians, and they'll say, no, it, it, it means this. For instance, a verse like uh, 2, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9, 
where it says about the promise of his coming, where it says God is not slack as men count slackness, or men are not slow. God is not slow as they count uh, slowness. But he says this then, he says, but we'll have all men to come to repentance. Right. Now, do we take that at face value? Does he want all men to come to salvation? Does uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, where it says this, this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Mm. Do we take that at face value that Christ wants all men to be saved? Does the message go out to all men? And does he want, want all men to be saved? Does he love the whole world? Is he merciful to the whole world? So uh, do we take those verses? It affects the way we look at Scripture. And so it is very important. But let's move into the, the last part. Does it affect, uh, I think you mentioned, does it affect the gospel? Right. Does, it, does it fundamentally affect, uh, affect the gospel? Now, what's interesting, I'm going to read two quotations uh, from two books. And what's interesting, I think it affects the gospel very, very much. It can't help but affect the gospel. If you say that Christ did not die for the whole world, if you say that God does not want the whole world to be saved, well, it's going to affect the gospel. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. Allow me to read a verse from a, a book that was very, very popular at one time, and it was not a theological book. It was a book on counseling, a book by J. Adams, Dr. J. Adams. It was called Competent to Counsel, and it's about counseling. But in the passage, in, in the book, in page 70, he says this. As a Reformed Christian, the writer, speaking of himself, believes that counselors must not tell any unsaved counselee that Christ died for him. They cannot say that. No one except Christ himself knows who is his elect for whom he died. Now, that's a very, very interesting thing. How do you share the gospel? If you cannot tell, I cannot tell my neighbor that Christ died for him. Mm. How do I share the gospel? I tell him about the cross, but if he asks me, did he die for me? I say, no, I can't tell you that he died for you. Exactly. He died for a certain group of people. You may or may not be in that group, but uh, he died on the cross for certain people. I can't tell you that he died actually for you. Well, that affects the preaching of the gospel. Right. Um, do we tell someone, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, or you might not be one of those people that can actually believe on him? Right. Because you've not been regenerated. And I know one particular writer, he says we should, well, we, we should really, when we meet someone, we, shall, we should ask them not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved, but we should ask them, pray for regeneration. Pray that you would have regeneration first, and if you get that regeneration, you are one of, one of the selected few, and then you should believe the Bible. Well, I've never seen a verse in the Bible that says, pray for regeneration, or, or, or seek regeneration. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I have a friend who uh, was, was saved out of a, a certain church. It doesn't matter, but he tells me about this. There's this one church in Ontario today where there's somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 people that attend. They believe that some are saved and some 
are set not to be. So there's sections in the church. If you're part of the group that is saved, you sit in it. And if oh. you're part of the group that isn't, or you don't know if you are, there's another section. And if it wasn't so sad, it'd be kind of funny. Over a thousand people sit there because they believe that hell will be less damning for them if they live a better life. Oh, okay. Imagine that. Yeah. Going to church, hearing about a, a love of God that's not for you, but you're trying your best not to work to get to heaven, but to work to make hell less hell. It's mm-hmm. what hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's almost like the logical conclusion of that. It's like this author you've mentioned. At least they're honest, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. They're intellectually honest with the fact yeah, that they, it right. it would be a lie for me to say you can get they, to heaven. They are they are applying what they really believe, and there are people that apply it. Now, there are people who have the same point of view. Uh, say Spurgeon had that point of view, but he, he gave open invitations to the gospel. He was criticized for it, mm. um, but... He had open invitations to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And many, many get saved. And he had a very large church filled with a, a, a great number of those who are believers in Christ. I want to read another quotation. It's similar. Uh, this man uh, was on the, was, his name is Edward Palmer. He wrote a book on uh, the five points of Calvinism. He was on the translation committee of the NIV in the early days in the 1970s. But here's what he writes in this book. For some reason, if an evangelist cannot say to his audience, Christ died for you, some believe that his effectiveness in winning souls might be measurably hurt. Yes, okay, I would be one of those people. (laughs) Yes, I think it would be measurably hurt if you can't tell someone Christ died on the cross for you. Hmm. To such a question... And to such reasoning, the answer is this. If there has to be a choice, it is better to tell that person Christ did not die for him than to win more converts through a lie. So it's um, he's very honest again. He's very honest. Sure. But what I would argue, that is not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is the message of the Lord Jesus died on the cross for all men. Paul preached and believed that all men were, that that application of the finished work of Christ could be applied to all men as they heard the gospel. He goes to the Philipp, of the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not that thou might be saved, because if you are in that small select group and you don't know that yet, if you believe you will be saved the application of the finished work of Christ will be applied to you and your sins will be forgiven. And you will come into the family of God. There's no doubt about that. He's not given any doubt, as our friend here might say, uh, that there'd be some that, that they could say, I believe in the Lord Jesus, and yet if they're not elect, they would not be saved. So it does, the question is, does it affect uh, ultimately the gospel? And I would say, yes, it does in many different areas. Now, is every person so so strict in their application? I would say no. There'd be a lot who would not feel this way. But as you gain a stronger and stronger conviction in this area, you begin to apply those in a greater and greater way. 
And um, I, I see many people of this background applying these things in different areas to certain degrees. And so it does affect the preaching of the gospel and our, our belief or understanding of the gospel. So how do we, this is kind of a, this is maybe a loaded question. You don't even have to answer it, but how do we, you're no stranger to the fact that in the assemblies, we have people of both views. How do we uh, dwell together in unity on these things? I would say this, and um, I say there's four things we can, we must absolutely be unwavering about. And scripture is absolutely clear about these four things. Christ loved everyone. Christ died for everyone. Christ wants everyone in the world to be saved. I have a handout with numerous verses on each of these points. So it's not, not arguable. I don't believe mm. it's arguable that Christ did not love everyone, that Christ did not die for everyone, and that Christ did not want, does not want everyone to be saved. And then lastly, when we are saved, he gives us the assurance of salvation. Gives everyone who believes the assurance of salvation. Uh, that we can know now we have the assurance. I would say that if we, as an assembly, believe these four things, any church, we believe these four things. Mm. We will, we will live in rel relative harmony. We preach these. They are positions that we take as elders, as leaders. We make it known that these are the points that we stand on. I don't think we will have any problem with uh, different points of view and so forth. I don't think we can. Sure. Uh, as we preach and we tell everyone who preaches, these are four things that we, uh, we will not budge on. Uh, I think if that is true, and we find a fair amount of scripture support for all of these positions, um, be no problem. Hmm. Um, some might leave because they don't really agree with that somehow, but right. uh, I, I think they will see it, it's, it's not arguable. Those four points cannot be argued. Uh, the other things will work their way out, but if you have those, uh, I think it'll solve a lot of problems. Well, that's great. Well, on behalf of Turner Road Bible Chapel here in Windsor, Ontario, and whoever else might hear this, uh, David, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. It's been a help for me. And uh, for those who are listening, you can get David's book on this or that covers this topic. And I think a bit more limiting omnipotence. It's on gospelfolio.com. I believe you can find it. And uh, David, thanks again for being with us today. I want to just mention in closing uh, about Cornerstone Magazine. Yes. For anybody who's hearing, uh, Cornerstone Magazine is a magazine sent out without charge. If you want to give a donation, it's accepted. Uh, but it's a magazine that is filled with doctrinal articles, testimonies of Christians and what God has done in their lives, uh, about what God is doing through the efforts of people in establishing new churches, Bible camps, efforts for the Lord uh, in North America, and many different uh, aspects and different situations. And uh, it's an encouraging magazine. And sometimes people take them and leave them in a hospital. 
And uh, we've gotten letters back from someone who's picked it up. So if you'd like to receive one, you can go to uh, cornerstonemagazine.com. You can sign up there on that website. Perfect. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure for me to be with you and to share some thoughts uh, about scripture. Uh, Good questions. I hope that my answers have been a help. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the TRBC podcast. Turner Road Bible Chapel is located in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. You can find us online at trbc.ca. We hope that this has helped encourage and equip you in your walk with Christ. Oh,